having the humility as kind of the creator of those moments to say, okay, well, let's go back and find what is the right answer. And then having the support of people around you who say, it's okay, that wasn't the right answer, but let's go back and see if we can find that right answer. It's Friday. It is our fifth and final day of our week of inspiration kicking off 2021. This week has been a crazy, crazy week, um, but I hope you've been having as much fun listening to these episodes as I've had making them and interviewing all of our awesome guests. My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your host and advocate for the Leading People First podcast, where we explore the effect that leadership has on the employee experience in order to transform the workplace to be a more positive environment for everyone. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button however you're listening to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you are listening to this right now. I'm ending this week of inspiration with a fellow learning and development leader who also focuses on design thinking. And this is where we both believe in the importance of investing in your employees, as well as utilizing what she calls soft landings in order to find the right answer when you are trying to find solutions and learn in your workspace. So grab your suits because it is time to dive on into this episode. My current guest on the Leading People First podcast is someone who I I really have grown to admire because she does so many things and her and I both have, I found a lot of uh, similarities. She's a mom, a runner, cyclist, coffee connoisseur, Filmmaker, including making commercials back in school for Gatorade and Stephen Curtis Chapman, Design Center Learning Leader and the Director of Training and Enablement at Pandora, Carissa Stowers. Welcome to the Leading People First podcast. Thank you, Chris. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I'm really excited to explore more uh, about your work, uh, specifically around things like design thinking, diversity, equity, inclusion. But before we jump into that, what does it mean to you to lead people first? I think for me, it means that you're putting the whole human before any sort of organizational or goal initiatives. And that doesn't mean that you're ignoring those things, of course, but it's really starting off with talking to humans. And that is very design thinking of me to say, but one of the programs that I'm proudest of was really born out of these discovery interviews that a colleague did. And then his conclusions created the data-driven case for professional development initiatives. So um, I think that there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that, you know, you could look at when you think about leading people, but for me, it's just starting with the humanity of the person. Yeah. I love it. And yeah, I I think it's very much uh, you know, having this people first mentality and design thinking, they're almost, they almost go hand in hand because it's all about thinking about what does that human centered design look like? And when we look at organizations and things like the employee experience, which is what this podcast is about, it's always thinking about like, well, what can we do to make the best human centered experience for, uh, for people at work? So looking back at your career, uh, something a lot of people go through is, getting a degree and then pivoting into something entirely different. You know, you went from a degree in film and Spanish to a nonprofit, the Apple store, and then finding out that you love teaching throughout all of that. Can you share maybe the moment in time when you learned to lead people first, or you, you became aware that like, Hey, people need to be the center of Mm -hmm. everything we do when it comes to leadership. Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of it is, is watching other people who have done it really well. And I've been really lucky that no matter the role that I was in, I, I was able to learn either from people who had done it well, or maybe people that were not doing it well. It's kind of one of those things like being a parent, you, you watch your, your friends who are parents and your relatives, and you think of your own parents and you're like, what do I want to do? What do I want to not do? And what do I want to adapt? Yeah. So, you know, I remember one manager I had at Apple, Khalil Smith, and I was new to his team as kind of a short-term assignment. And I'd gotten to this first assignment with him in London and I had terrible jet lag and I'd gotten sick and was really struggling to perform at this level I wanted to. And he told me, you know, we hired you for a reason. Your body is telling you to slow down and you are going to be great at this. I believe in you. That's why we selected you. So that's, that's a one, one moment I can look back on and say, that was the first time I think I remember anybody explicitly saying that to me, yeah. that, that it was like, not just about your job performance, but it was about me as a whole person, you know, physical, mental, social. Yeah. It's really great when you get that. Um, I don't know about you, but you know, when I first had a leader really care about me, it's like this breath of fresh air, but then you think about it, you're like, why aren't more leaders doing this? Right? Like it's Mm -hmm. something that should be simple and kind of, you know, basic, I I would think. But um, I I did want to share a bit of praise that uh, one of your colleagues shared with me about you. Uh, Leanne Leanne Chiazza, I I think I'm butchering her last name. Uh, Leanne, she said, Carissa is the embodiment of servant leadership. She is acutely aware of her team's individual strengths, opportunities, career aspirations, and personal priorities. She is people first and community first and brings these traits to the job every day. We are so fortunate to have Carissa in a leadership position at Pandora. She makes everyone around her a better person and makes our team better as a whole. Oh my gosh. So so I think, yeah, I mean, you know, again, as we pick up things in our careers and in our education, you hear and you you find that. So you're definitely making that that impact. Oh, I feel like that was one of those, this is your life moments and (laughs) gearing up. Thanks, Leanne. (laughs) Well, something about design thinking about the work that you do is this constant exploration and ideation. In -hmm. your professional life, I've found that you've allowed yourself to explore and try new things. Looking back, have you always had this design thinking mindset and just didn't know it? And how did that apply to something like these simple days? (laughs) Throwing it back. All right. Um, Well, I think I have realized that I've always kind of been design minded and it's funny because, um, my dad was an engineer and growing up, I was like, man, his interests and what he's good at are so different from what I'm interested in. Definitely not engineer minded, not design minded. I knew I was artistic and creative, but didn't see those things kind of coming together. And, um, it's interesting because the older I've gotten, the more I realized that those two things are not separate at all. And uh, there's a lot of kind of engineer mentality in -hmm. the things I do and uh, (laughs) connecting it to these simple days. That was, uh, I'll call it a passion project, I guess. (laughs) So uh, 
colleague of mine, uh, Lainey Erican, she and I sat next to each other um, for a couple years at Pandora. And we both were lamenting how we lived in these tiny Bay Area apartments and we had too much stuff and we wanted to kind of make ourselves accountable to decluttering our lives, both physically and maybe mentally, spiritually a little bit. <laughs> so we decided that to kind of hold us accountable, we were going to start this, uh, this Instagram account and a podcast called These Simple Days. And uh, we managed a pretty good editorial calendar for a couple of years. We had four podcasts. The podcast was a later, uh, that was a later addition to the, to the These Simple Days Media Empire. But um, I think something, something that kind of connects to the design thinking part of that is we were just brainstorming one day around, you know, this is so much fun for us to, to think about decluttering and to think about reading uh, Marie Kondo and doing these things that we were doing kind of on a personal level. And we thought there must be other people who are interested in this too. And what if we just kind of get creative with it and see what happens? And uh, we started out with kind of brainstorming some names. We created a, a mild content calendar and would meet during lunches. And um, I mean, what was was it Vine that was the precursor to, uh, to Instagram stories? And yeah, TikTok? yeah. There are things that we were seeing other content creators do when we thought that's cool. Why not just try it and see what happens? So obviously Vine didn't stick around. Um, <laughs> we, after we stopped working together, I moved to Texas. We decided we were going to kind of sunset what we were doing. We've talked about bringing it back someday, but, um, yeah, I think it's really just about if you see something that you're interested in, taking a step towards that and and playing with it. It doesn't mean you have to be the best at it. It doesn't mean that you have to master it at the very beginning, but um, you'll see some pretty terrible photos in our Instagram feed. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but it's just all about exploring areas that are of interest to you. That's awesome. What What is something that you're exploring nowadays? Ooh, there's a couple of things. So I, I got an iPad pro a few months ago and I have been loving procreate. Um, I, I've never thought of myself as like a fine art artist mm-hmm. and, uh, have played around with painting and stuff, but took a drawing class about a year ago and absolutely loved it. And was trying to figure out how can I replicate doing that when I can't go to an art class in person right now mm-hmm. and uh, have found procreate as a good place to explore. And I also, I'm, I haven't committed to this yet, but I really want to take an interior design class next year. I took a, a very brief one a couple of years ago and similarly was fascinated by it. Those are sort of areas of my personal life that, you know, if you look at my Instagram following or Pinterest, you you'll be able to tell that those are things that I'm passionate about learning yeah. more. <laughs> I can't wait to do this office by the way. Yeah. So maybe I'll have, maybe I'll hire you to do a, a test project Perfect. or something. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, you know, going back to your work at Pandora, I think it's obvious for both you and me that learning and development is critical for organizations to grow from the inside yeah. out. 
Absolutely. But I think for some leaders, especially those who are very cost conscious, that paying for learning that doesn't see an immediate return or mm-hmm. a return, uh, they can't track it, right? It's very difficult to track. Can you explain why it's important for organizations to invest in their employees, especially now during an economic downturn? Yeah, I, I saw a, a statistic and I can't, uh, I can't remember exactly what the, um, I'm not going to cite it quite correctly, from uh, LinkedIn Learning did a, a summit a couple of months ago around remote learning. And one of the stats that stood out to me was that in their research, more people were prioritizing learning right now as a method of feeling engaged and, um, and feeling like it was a priority, mm-hmm. which was interesting because you would think that in a time where people are trying to figure out how to do business in such new ways that, you know, making adjustments to the business processes and systems would be the highest priority. I think that there's, you know, that there's always kind of a trade-off of, you know, where can we see sort of this cost benefit analysis with um, human focused programs we have some ways that we've been able to refine over the past few years that I think are getting us pretty close to being able to sort of pr- like to prove an ROI. Um, but it's hard. That's always the challenge is that if you invest in somebody becoming a better person, how do you say becoming a better person will also have a business impact? We kind of know it inherently, but we aren't, we aren't always able to find that hard data like we are with you know, sales numbers, for example. Well, I mean, when you look at things like people skills, right? Leadership skills, um, Mm A, what, how do you define leadership skills, right? And what is leadership to different organizations? Um, Mm -hmm. And B, once you do define those characteristics or skills and even values, um, right? How do you track those? It's, It's very difficult because those tend to be more subjective, a bit more qualitative than quantitative. So yeah, I I agree with you. Staying on the subject of this economic downturn, you've shared with new hires before that, you know, at Pandora that you're not seeing Pandora at its worst during this pandemic, but you're seeing us at our best. How can Mm -hmm. organizations apply design thinking to transform their organizations and be better tomorrow? I think something that's helped us, the reason why I said that is because Pandora has a reputation, I think internally and externally for being really excellent at what we do. And especially internally being a community, being a family and the support that we were seeing across from from the highest levels um, from our you know, our Sirius XM partners um, within Pandora was just, I think, a true indicator of the company's values and proving what was important. So that's why I made that statement to new hires, because we're at our best when we're thinking about how to innovate, how to do things in new ways. If we were status quo this year, I know that for my team, we had to think about doing things drastically differently because we rely on, we, we did rely on in-person events for, for a lot of our initiatives. And similarly, Pandora, SiriusXM, we had a lot of 
live events that we did that had to be rethought. We had clients that were thinking about their campaigns differently. Uh, we, we didn't have our sales teams and our client services teams able to go in in person and meet with their clients. So I think that when you have one of those moments where it's like, oh my gosh, everything that I knew has broken down. <laughs> so how do I, how do I, how do I do this? How do I kind of, you know, rise up like a Phoenix and, uh, and figure out how to do this in a new and better way. I think across, across the company, we've seen a lot of innovation come out of the challenges. Um, I know that's not just my team. I've seen it. I've seen it across, I think almost every team that we've interacted with. And that's really encouraging to me. I think it proves that we have the right talent on our teams and we have a culture that's willing to, to think about doing things differently and doesn't, I mean, I will say I have some, I have had some panic moments, <laughs> but where we're able to say, you know, we know that we know that things will work out because we know that we have the right people and we have the right support. Yeah. I mean, understanding our team's strengths, right. And, and knowing that we have the right people in the right places is something that's really tough to a do, but once that's in place, it makes things as a leader so much easier because you know that right? Like the right gears are in place to get the car moving or whatever analogy you want to use. Um, and I want to show, you know, share another piece of praise from Willa Fogarty. Fogarty, man, I, I pick people with really like last names that I can't pronounce today. Well, I'll share her praise for, uh, to you. She said, when I think of Carissa as a leader, I think of her authenticity, empathy, and how supportive she is of others. She knows how to empower those around her and she creates a culture of creativity, inclusivity, and growth all while making it fun to come to work. She exemplifies that rare balance of a leader that knows how to support people both professionally and personally on a human level. So when we, when we look at, well, thanks, <laughs> so, I mean, again, when we think of things like innovation in the workplace and again, design thinking is, is a great vehicle for innovation. There's a lot to be also said and like Willa said around diversity and I know you're very committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Where does design thinking and DEI intersect? And how can organizations utilize both to make meaningful progress? I think that's a really important question. I don't know that I can say that I've figured it out <laughs> in any way. Um, but I think, I think, you know, a reflection of, um, a reflection of kind of this, this idea of, you know, we're not, we're not ever gonna be perfectly anti-racist. Um, I think that is very in line with design thinking. It's like, don't not say something because you're afraid it might be the wrong thing. Like mm -hmm. you're gonna have to continually work at allyship and inclusion and, you know, figuring out how to use better language and, you know, create a more, uh, a more representative organization and, you know, do better just in general. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people, myself included say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that I might not get something right. Or I'm afraid I might, I might, uh, I might need to like read another thing or watch another thing before I step out into fill in the blank in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. And 
I think that, you know, that design thinking mindset lets you say, I know I'm going to screw up somewhere and that's okay. I need to, I need to make the effort. Um, and I think that, you know, not doing anything is much worse than doing something and failing at it in life, but very applicable to DEI work. Yeah. I mean, again, if you want to take business cases, there's so many business cases out there where, you know, organizations became stagnant and Mm -hmm. just ended up dying out. Right. And the same goes Mm -hmm. to just personal improvement, systemic social justice and improvement. Right. We, we always need to be work to be a better society just in general, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, yeah, design thinking absolutely has a place in that. Um, the, the thing that I think I would agree with you. I, I, I would say that a lot of individuals have this fear of, of jumping into something new and testing new things, even if it's just for themselves or something at work, because they're afraid of this, you know, idea of a failure. Um, so can you talk more about how in order to have this design thinking culture, the importance of compassion, empathy, and authenticity? Yeah, I think, you know, that's another thing that I've, I've learned from good role models is when, when there's something that you want to try and maybe it seems like a wild idea, getting the permission to do that and then having somebody's full backing, even when it maybe doesn't go quite as well as you hoped it would. Any, every time you do that, it gives you a little bit more it gives you a little bit more confidence to take that next risk when you have kind of a soft place to land. And man, I, the, I think it was the first week, maybe the second week I was at Pandora, there was somebody else who was relatively new to Pandora as well. We were sitting in a meeting and she said, a a colleague of mine always used to say, there's no such thing as an advertising emergency. And that gave me a, I don't even work with her that often, but that gave me kind of a a realization of, yeah, this is the place to experiment. And this is the place that we can take those risks. If I was in a surgeon's, you know, in like a group of surgeons, we (laughs) might not say that, but in learning and development and, you know, we, we support digital advertising in my group. Um, There's a lot of space to play and to try new things. And I think every time that, you have either, you know, a little bit of success in something that's a new idea or that you have kind of that, that ability to say, okay, that wasn't quite right. It didn't work out the way we wanted it to, but that's all right. We're going to iterate on it. Let's take it back and, you know, reprototype it. Or we say, wow, we got that incredibly wrong. <laughs> what we're going for at all. And I've had, you know, I can think back to a few of those moments. Um, having the, the, I mean, the humility is kind of the creator of those moments to say, okay, well, let's go back and find what is the right answer. And then having the support of people around you who say, it's okay, that wasn't the right answer, but let's go back and see if we can find that right answer or that right solution. Yeah. Again, that, that safe space for failure is really important and um, allowing trust within team you know, between teammates to say, Hey, yeah, it's okay. Like we all mess up or, you know, like let's work on it together and let's collaborate. It's, um, it's really important to be able to innovate in that sense. Um, and that also, you know, that builds 
teams, right? That builds the trust between teams. When we talk about team building, it, it's about, you know, allowing that failure to happen between team members. Mm-hmm. And I know as, you know, I'm an, I know you're an ENFJ leader. I am too. And oh, so okay. like, like you, or I, I, if you're like me, this lockdown has been hard, not being able to go out, socialize with others, right? Especially connecting and building relationships with team members. Mm-hmm. How have you adapted to continuing to build and strengthen the relationships of your team? I think, well, I will say we're at a little bit of an advantage in this working remotely thing because I have been, my current team, we have always been in different offices. So this was something we were already, we were, we were geared up for, we were prepared for this in some ways. What we miss, of course, is that we were doing live events. So we were kind of seeing each other as a whole team, at least on a quarterly basis. And, um, and as, as team leader, I was generally seeing people more often than that. So I think what we have had to adjust to is just kind of acknowledging that it's hard not to be able to brainstorm next to each other. We were able to get together in early February, which was you know, such a, such a fortunate event looking back that, you know, a couple of weeks before things started shutting down, we were able to have some time together as a team and do some of that in-person brainstorming. But I don't think that I've told people for me, not too much has changed besides that. I'm not actually able to physically see them that, you know, every other month kind of cadence that I was, I was having before, but we've just tried to take a lot of rest breaks and be easy on ourselves. Um, one, I mean, one thing is, this is at a company level, something we're so grateful for is, is having um, summer Fridays. I know that's, uh, that's a thing in the agency world. And uh, we've been so grateful to do that and just have a little bit of time to recharge at the end of the week. And I've been pretty upfront with my team and, uh, and have asked for them to do the same with me about when it gets to be too much, when you're just tired of looking at a computer screen for hours in a row, because Mm -hmm. usually you would have been having those meetings, not through a computer screen. It's okay to take a break. It's okay. If you need to split your work up, you know, a couple hours in the morning, take an hour to walk around outside, do what you need to do. For me, I, I can't emphasize to my team enough that their mental health is really, really important to me. And that if that's not in a good place, I know that their work is not going to be in a good place. So, you know, it's been challenging this year. I, I don't, anybody who it hasn't been challenging for, I feel like maybe they're lying. I don't know. They're either lying (laughs) or they have like some secret I need to figure out. Um, but I think that it's really, it, it's because we already trusted each other. We, we already, um, we already knew each other. Well, we knew our working styles well, and I didn't have any concerns about, oh my gosh, my team is going to be working from home now. Will they still be doing excellent work? Yeah. I, I knew that they would be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just, that, that's something that frustrated me before the pandemic was, you know, managers being like, I don't know if I can trust my like team to do good work at home. It's like, are they doing good work when they are from home? And, you know, they answer, yeah. I'm like, okay, so what's the problem to try an additional day or two here and there? Like, what's the problem? 
Yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's so it's interesting. It's a culture shift for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about mental health wellness, but you just answered, you just answered it. So, I mean, um, I mean, it's so important to have breaks built in and understand as leaders that we cannot expect a hundred percent productivity all the time, especially now. I mean, like we, we shouldn't have been expecting it before. The thing that concerned me was we saw this huge spike in productivity early on in the pandemic. And then my fear was, you know, managers saying like, oh, we can expect this kind of output like for, you know, permanently. It's like, no, like people are just being hyper productive at this at this moment. And that, that, that brings me to, you know, my next question around leaders need to understand, and this goes back to leading people first, they need to understand that every employee has multiple things going on in their lives. And that's why I want organizations and leaders to recognize that their employees as people with things going on, right? Like you have a son, you are a, a runner, you, uh, you're a cyclist, right? And you do all these other things. You do volunteer work. So what can leaders do to better understand their employees' lives or maybe some tricks that you have and become more empathetic to the craziness of each individual on their team is going through. First of all, I should clarify, I'm not really a road cyclist, <laughs> but I do Peloton. That's my, that's my, that's, that's still my, cycling. That's my pandemic thing. So <laughs> I don't want anybody to be like, let's go on a 50 miler or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, um, well, I'm just, I'm a people person. I like finding out about people and what makes them tick. So it, it does come naturally to me to want to find out all about people on my team and what they're interested in and what they like doing and who's their partner and what's their pet's name and all that kind of thing. Um, I think my first couple of years at Pandora, we, um, we, in our weekly team meeting, this was before I was in a manager role, um, my manager had kind of a standing practice that each of us would take turns leading our team meeting every week. And every team meeting, it kind of became like a little bit of a challenge to find out or tap into like some other area of the people on our team, whether that was a thought provoking question or, uh, you know, bring a photo of you doing this or what have you. And I think that, that helped me get to know the people on my team who were spread across multiple offices on a highly personal level. And so I adopted that for my team meetings. My team may hate me sometimes because I'm like, all right, what's our, what's our question that we start off with today or what's our thing? <laughs> um, but mostly they humor me. And it has been such a, uh, that's such a simple thing and it has become a really um, interesting way for us just to find out about each other and what we're passionate about. Like now my team knows that I, you know, hate certain Christmas songs, not because <laughs> I'm a French, but because I worked retail for too long and there's just a couple I can't stand. Um, I yeah. And we know, you know, one of our other team members, we know, you know, that he hates podcasts, you know, it's like, <laughs> there's, uh, you're going to have to force him to listen to this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll make him. Um, but yeah, I think, I think some of it is just knowing when to ask questions and 
I'm a big fan of, of looking at, you know, multiple aspects of a person. So I, I love any sort of like evaluation tool, whether that's, and none of them are perfect. That's my caveat is, you know, Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or, um, you know, there's, you know, you, you pick, there's like 25, 30 out there, I think that are in vogue at any given time, but doing those as a team, you know, I'd say we use those tools, you know, once or twice a year, just kind of exploring them or talking about aspects of them. That has been so helpful for our team, not just to get to know each other and our working styles and preferences, but it's been really helpful for us to be able to think about our cross-functional partners, other members of our broader team. If I know that I act a certain way under stress, or if I know that a member of my team acts a certain way when they're having a disagreement with somebody, that helps us know how to better be able to relate to each other. And um, you mentioned a quote from Willa earlier. So Willa's on my team and uh, she gave an example of, well, I know Carissa generally is very human centered. And, you know, we always start off with, you know, asking about, you know, how's your day? How's, how is your bike ride or whatever? So she said that she knows whenever I, whenever I slack her and I don't start off with that first, when I'm like down to business first, she knows that I'm under stress and that I have some sort of deadline or something to get done. And those are things that I don't think we would have known about each other, at least not that quickly without using some of these evaluative tools. And again, this may be something that I sort of force on my team a little bit, but we all have ended up being really grateful for getting to explore those, those different tools. Well, those tools, you know, are, are, they're good icebreakers. They're good, quick ways to get to learn about one another in my experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's, it, it goes beyond the, Hey, tell me about yourself. What is your, like, where did you grow up or, you know, what did you do as a kid? Things like that. It, it kind of gets to the heart of our personalities and it, it forces us to be a bit vulnerable and understand how we operate. Um, and like you said, right, like they all kind of do different things. They're not perfect. So exploring different things uh, just allows us to learn more about each other. And it also allows us to become more empathetic with each other. Um, yeah. I love that you do that. I mean, Gray Crenshaw also shared some praise too. And she said that, you know, Carissa always seems to know when her team and colleagues need a pat on the back or extra praise. She connects with people on an individual basis, tapping into any support they may need. She's one of my favorite people at Pandora. Oh, right. <laughs> so, so sweet. Before we, yeah. oh, go, no, go ahead. Just going to say, I heard a great nugget from one of our sales directors last week and, and I'm, stealing it because I think it, it really captures, I think it really captures, um, a good way of looking at your team. And she said she treats her team just as she would treat a sales client, which is that if you have a sales client, you're, you're not just, you're not just trying to kind of like get the money out of them. You need to know them as a whole entity. And that's, you know, their family. You need to know like what the pressures are Mm -hmm. for them. You need to know, you know, what makes them successful. You need to know how their company is performing. So she treats it as a research project. And I thought that was a a really interesting way of kind of capturing that, that sentiment around, you can't kind of just stop at the, you know, the basics. You really have to dig into, 
to knowing your team to help them feel valued and, and for you to just function (laughs) ideally. Yeah. I mean, I, something that I like to say, you know, is, is, um, our employees, our teams, they're the most important client we could have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we need to treat them that way. Right. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So before we go, um, one last question, what is the impact you're looking to leave on people? Oh, that I feel like I could, depending on my, <laughs> depending on my, my day, it probably changes a little bit, but I think ultimately I want people to, I want people to come out of working with me or being in a training session with me as feeling like they were either able to understand themselves a little bit better, feeling like they're able to learn something new, either about themselves or the world or a topic because I love, I love seeing a moment where somebody kind of realizes, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that before. And I know that now, or I didn't think I could do that before, but I think I can do that now. Uh, or I didn't realize that opportunity existed, but now I'm going to go after it. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's too small potatoes, no, but I, I, no. I think that, you know, even, even my like very early training days, the things I was inspired by was people being able to, you know, move a photo from iPhoto to their desktop or to their (laughs) phone and, you know, small victories. Right. Um, I think those, those things start adding up for people because every time you have one of those, Oh, I can do that. Or I know that now moments that's putting you in that growth mindset so that you can think a little bit bigger the next time and a little bit bigger the next time after that. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Carissa. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, Where can people connect with you and and learn more about the work that you do? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to go. And I think my These Simple Days podcast might still be available (laughs) in the Apple podcast directory. If people want to, people want to really dive into what it takes to, uh, to live in a 600 square foot apartment in Oakland. I love it. Love it. Uh, well, again, Carissa, thank you again. And this has been a blast. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you again for tuning into our week of inspiration on the leading people first podcast. My biggest takeaway from Carissa was that we can always apply design thinking, iteration and exploration into everything that we do. To learn more about Carissa and her awesome work at Pandora, click on the links in the show notes. And if you know someone who needs to explore and generate new ideas, send them this episode and let them know that exploration is great. Adventure is out there. Speaking of exploring, I have actually a special bonus episode for you to check out. Given the atmosphere of where we're at here in the United States at the start of 2021, I gathered a number of leaders to discuss and process what happened on January 6th in Washington, D.C. It's a very real and raw conversation, but I thought it was necessary to create that space as well as share that conversation with you all. So go back to the show information and check it out. Let's continue the conversation. Let's keep it going. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and share with us what you loved most about this episode on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm so glad that you joined me for this week of inspiration kicking off 2021. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.